This morning I woke up and I, I had this thought. It's like, oh, I know how to start this talk. That's going to be brilliant. And then like five minutes, I didn't write it down. And five minutes later, I was like, well, hmm. Uh, so I shouldn't have told you that because you would have, whatever I did, you would have think that was brilliant. So, uh, um, oh, we got a clicker. I'm, I'm going to skip ahead to a couple things. I wanted to, it, it's, uh, it's quite something to see oneself uh, um, on stage, I mean, to, be, to, to be, see oneself mirrored in the, uh, in the, through the eyes of others, um, but a lot of fun. And let's see, we're going to skip, 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 skip to the loo. Ah, okay, so I'll, I'll hold that for a second. So somebody last night in their portrayal of me, brilliant as it was, said the word hocus pocus, you know, hocus pocus. <laughs> and so I thought, well, as I will, I, as I am, I wanted to tell you the origin of the phrase hocus pocus. <laughs> so in the, um, in the Lord's Supper, in the Lord's Supper and the reenactment of that, the, um, at a certain place in the, and this is the medieval times, let's go back five, six hundred, seven hundred, a thousand years, medieval times, the priest at a certain point elevates the bread, which is called the host at that point, and says, and says certain words, but it's the high point of the whole mass kind of moves you towards this moment, and this is the moment when this ordinary bread is changed into the body of Christ. And so it's the most momentous moment in the mass. Well, in medieval times, everything that was happening up front was happening in what language? Sorry, in the Western Europe, yeah, Latin. And the people out there, did they know what was happening? No, I had no idea what was going on for the most part. But they knew it was magical because sometimes they rang bells, they did all kinds of stuff when this one moment came. And so when the priest elevated the host and he said, way up there in the front of the church on the altar with his back turned to everybody, uh, the priest said, Hoc est corpus. Ah. And it means this is the body. This is the body. So when he would raise it up, he'd go, Hocus corpus. And they ring the bells. And the people are like, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? I don't know. Something, some kind of hocus pocus. Hocus corpus, hocus corpus, hocus pocus, hocus pocus. That is actually genuinely the origin of that phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, ooh. that was brilliant. That was brilliant. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I just needed to stretch. Okay. I just needed to stretch. All right. Uh, but it, this all ties in, so we'll get there. All right, so I'll zip back again to the beginning. Okay, beginning. Ah. I will pray at some point here, but... I wanted to at least kind of lead us into or lead us out of the last talk when all of a sudden Tanya, as she's brilliant at, uh, said, it's time, stop talking. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, I, I had a seminary. I went in seminary my first year. I had this professor who loved the sound of his own voice. Uh, he eventually became my dissertation advisor, and we got along great. But at first I was like, oh, man, this guy is so full of it. And his daughter was in that class with us, too. At a certain point, he would talk past the end of class and just keep talking and keep talking. And she would just stop. She'd go, Dad, stop talking. <laughs> it's time. Let these people go. Anyway, thank you, Tanya, for that, being that for me. All right. So yesterday, 9 o'clock, uh, wait, two days ago, whenever I, I ended, 
I had read for us this scripture passage from Genesis about Abraham, and I didn't really weave it back through, you know, why I chose that passage. At least as I don't remember weaving it through that much. But the reason I was drawn to that in the midst of what we were talking about is because it's a, sto- a story, and I was talking about how the stories we tell and we weave and we shape. And this is a story that is definitely woven and shaped over time because these stories about Abraham would have been told for generations and generations and generations before they're written down. And this one is a strange story because if I were, if I were an English teacher and somebody handed this in, I'd say, ah, hmm. At some point, it sounds like there are three people speaking, and other times it's one pe- person speaking. It's, uh, let's clarify the person here. Is it first person, third person? You know, all that stuff. You have to clarify. Because the story is a little strange. There are three strangers that show up, and then they're all God. Then they're all talking either individually or together or separate, and it's a little strange. And so, but the point was, I, I, my esoteric understanding of it all just was that here's a story that passes down from generation and generation, and it becomes sacred in its telling. It's a, it's a myth that's woven, uh, careful when I say myth, it's mythic in its scope because it's got a plot line. That's what mythos means, plot line. It's a story woven together over time. And even the anomalies get woven into the story. The things that don't make sense stay there, and they're left for generations of people to go, hmm, I wonder what that is. And we, get, we move into the anomalies and we spend time with them and we have mystic revelations about the anomalies or something. You're like, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't either. I don't know what he's talking about. Okay. Um, at least to say that there's stories that we tell that we weave together. And sometimes parts of that story stay there so long we, never, don't, we don't remember why they're there. Now, I remember once I, I was in a touring choir with seminary, and every Sunday we went to a different church and we sang. And one place we came to this church, and we're waiting in the back to go in, and some guy who'd been at that church a long time, he says, you know, at this church, when they go, it was a Episcopal, I think, he says, when we go down, we go down the aisle with the crucifer, the big cross, you know, we're going down the aisle, and you'll notice that every, at certain point, going down the aisle, He says, I was gone for a very long time, and I saw them, for the first time I saw somebody do that, and I said to them, I said, why do they get to that certain point and kneel to go on? Because we took that beam out where that used to have to go under. That beam is no longer there. Sometimes the stories we weave have these anomalies in them that don't make sense anymore, and uh, sometimes it's, it's time to let some of those things go. Hmm. So that's just part of the reason of telling that. Also because it's mis- it was mystical. There were three strangers. Is it one God, three gods, one God in three, three, God, three people in one? And the church interpreted that story to be about the Trinity. So a Jewish story about three, a three people. Anyway. I'll let you think about that. That's what the church did with that story, is to say, that's, that's the three-person God, you know. Okay. Let's breathe on. Okay. So, I want to take us back to that idea that we're storytelling beings. We make meaning in our lives by the stories we tell. That's reiterating what I said. And that comes up with this idea of we're not only wise human beings, we're in our heads, but we're in our bodies because we tell our stories and our stories move through our bodies. We're story meaning-making beings and we tell our stories 
to make, to make meaning of it all. Um, I wanted to pick up this thing, a word again, mythos is plot line. And, um, oh, so I'll keep going. Nope, nope, there we go. Come back to that. So, sorry, I'm working it all out. This was brilliant in my head this morning. But, and um, sometimes the stories we tell become such big myths that we can't see our way out of the story. In the, and, and sometimes we need to critique the story itself and see if, it's, if it still fits for us or if it reflects the reality we know. So, and sometimes it's our job to critique the story. So I want to read you a little passage here from, it's not little, I'm going to read you a passage from Corinthians um, chapter 11. I'm picking out a couple of key verses. Paul starts the chapter and he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He just starts that way. You're like, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And then he goes on, he talks about different things, and he gets to a certain point, and he's going to talk about the way that they do the Lord's Supper. So now in the following, hmm, I, I don't commend you, because when you come together, it is not for better, but for worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And to some extent, uh, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry, and another becomes drunk. What? Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Eternal God, God of the universe, infinite and beyond our understanding, break into the here and now, break into our stories so that you might see, we might see with new eyes and hear with new ears and receive with a new heart that great eternal story you're telling us, that what it means to love one another and the hard truth it may be. This we pray in the name and in the person of Jesus who taught us to love. Amen. So when I wrote this big fancy paper, The Transformation of Mythic Consciousness, I was looking at Aristotle's understanding of drama, the theater, what happens on the stage, and the plot lines, and the reversals, and the transformations, and all these things, and I, uh, at least that's what I remember, and I had this great thing all woven together about it's good to live into the myth of our lives, you know, and I had a seminary professor, and this was standing in front of 12 professors, I had to, male and female, I had to defend this paper as part of an oral exam for two hours, and they questioned me and questioned me, and one, one professor said to me, he says, you know, some myths are evil. And I was like, 
He says, you know, in Nazi Germany, they created a really big myth. And they wove every idea and every thought into that myth. And the people could, they so bought into that myth that they were the master race and everyone else was inferior, that it allowed them good, decent people. You know, I saw recently with a German guard, sorry, I'm making a sign for a belt buckle here. Belt buckle, you can't see that behind the podium. Belt buckle. He had a belt buckle, this German guard in a, in a, in a camp, a death camp, concentration camp. And it says in German, Gott mit uns, God with us, you know. So believed this myth that they were the master race, that they could annihilate six million Jews and beyond that. Um, Catholic priests and nuns and Protestant ministers and gays and lesbians and the disabled, the handicapped. Just this myth was so large that they couldn't see their way out of it and allowed them to do horrific things. So sometimes it's we, um, we need to, I mean, to buy into our stories and create our stories, but also ask to God to break into those stories to tell us something we do, we're not seeing. And Paul does that in that passage. You know, he says, look, you guys think you're having a love feast. That's what that agape feast, the Lord's Supper, it doesn't look like we do with very dainty, not dainty, uh, but uh, we get so, anyway, we do it so precisely in some ways that uh, we miss what this was in the early church. It was a time to commune together. Everybody got together and they ate together and they drank together and they remembered Jesus. And... Um, and he says, you know, some of you more wealthy folks, you get there early and you start drinking and you start eating. You've ate, eaten everything. You got drunk. And the poorer people who have been at work all day come and they, they don't have a chance. And they're standing on the margins and you all thinking you're having this great fellowship and you've excluded those on the outside. What myth are you telling each other that you miss that you've created these divisions and you believe those divisions. And I we talked it up when Paul earlier in another letter says, you know what, if we're in Jesus, we're in Christ, we're in God, there is no longer those social divisions of slave or Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, we're all one. So he has to, at certain points, have this hard word that breaks into their narrative, like, yeah, we're, we're doing great, when they miss the people at the margins. So sometimes our stories need to be trans well need to be transformed, and um, we might say it. I think what Am oh, Amber's gone, but what she said there are three words by which the whole cosmos coheres and hangs together: uh, truth, justice. Right there it is, justice and um, shalom, peace, rest, restoration. So anyway, what I'm trying to weave together here is a sense of sometimes. In each of our lives, a way that something that I, I pray for myself, that God break into my sight and my hearing and my loving and say, there's a bigger picture, a bigger story. And I would challenge us to look around the room and say, who's not here? Who's not here? And at first, we don't, we don't recognize it. You know, say, ah, oh, in New England, there's lots of white people in New England, you know. And we look around and we see, our, we see our neighbors, you know, we see folks. But just, to I mean, it's my challenge too. I go to a church in which 99% of the people are white, you know. And, uh, and so it's a story. Every Sunday morning I have to ask myself, who's not here in the room? And so you can answer that in many different ways.
And that's just our story right here. Who, who are we holding at the margin that doesn't get to come into the love feast we're having? Or even those who are here, how do we keep others at the margins of our, our enjoyment of this uh, to say, uh, just because, oh, you know what? She made me mad 30 years ago, and I just, she's going to sit on that side of the room, I'm going to sit on this side of the room. Anyway, I just, I judge people and do all kinds of things, but I want to say, this is our opportunity, one opportunity to say, ah, God, transform our stories. Hmm? Sister, oh, oh, thank you, Tanya. Tanya just gave me a story. That's great. Um, you might need to help me to remind me. That we, Tanya and Dana and I went on behalf of Spirit in Action last year. We went to two countries, Kenya and Malawi, and we met the most amazing people. And one time down in the valley, oh, we were in Kenya, and we were way up in the, up in, up in the mountains, and it was cool and lovely, and we said, we're going down in the valley. <laughs> and we took this two-and-a-half-hour drive down the mountainside through all the different climates into the desert and down these long, bumpy roads, and our rear ends were so sore. Oh, my gosh. That's supposed to be funny, cause it, but it hurt. You know, and so we just say, are we ever going to get to this place? And our driver, Dennis, kept saying, Oh, it's just a little while longer, just a little while longer. And we get to this place, and we park in this little town and of a few shacks of buildings, and we said, okay, it's just, just over there. And so we marched for 15, 20 minutes into the desert, and uh, we come across a field where there's a woman, a nun, uh, in a field, and she's sitting with a handful of rocks in one hand and a cell phone in the other, because she, she's guiding us in. She says, I'm over here, I'm over here. And she's throwing rocks at the birds to keep them away from the, her new bean plants. So we get to go meet Sister Magrina, because she's a recipient of a grant for Spirit in Action. And we sit with her in the, in the desert there, a little shack, uh, and uh, she pulls out some used sacks for us to sit on and pulls out some warm Coca-Cola and some, muff, uh, some rolls and... Uh, and we sit and we have, um, she tells us her story. I'll get to that. So we're sharing bread and Coca-Cola, warm Coca-Cola on the ground, and dappled sunlight, sweating like anything. And she says, we're saying, well, what are you doing here? She says, oh, I'm from the mountains. I'm not from here. I'm from the mountains. And I, she goes, I, my life was too comfortable up there in the mountains. And we saw the kind of places where she might have lived, and for her to call that comfortable, it was way lower than my comfort zone. But she says, I had to leave my comfort zone to come down to here be with these people. And, um, and she, she said she had degrees in counseling and, and addiction counseling and working with alcoholics. And she says, I came into this village because I knew they needed, needed me here. And so I, I, I planted a farm. And we're like, how did you know how to plant a farm? She's a nun, and she goes, oh, I'm a Kenyan. We're all farmers. You know, and she goes, okay, great farm. And um, anyway, so every day, I mean, she sits there in her field all day long and just throws stones at the birds to keep them off the beans. And she says, the, the farm isn't the idea here. She says, that gives me a reason to be here. And she says, you know, see that, that shack over there and when the distance we see it? She goes, over there, that man, he beat his wife almost to death. And she went to be with her people, and she recuperated, and then they sent her back to be with him, because she says, I have to raise my children, you know. And she says, those people over there, 
They're starving. The father is drunk all day long, and the woman has to scrounge for food. And so she says, she says sometimes the children just wander by, and I, and I give them warm Coca-Cola and bread or grain. And we talk about hygiene, and I tell the women, you know, there's a better way, you know. And so she just says, I'm here. I'm here to be, well, she didn't come out to say, I'm here to be the presence of God in their midst, but she says, I'm here to show them another way and that somebody cares for them. And uh, she says, so I take them in and I just quietly listen and talk. So Tanya, tell me the point of the story. I mean, what, was, what, what triggered that? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. So she said, you know, she, you see she's in a, in a habit, you know, with her head covered in a long, uh, very dusty blue uh, habit. And she just said, you know, here among these people, I'm not a Catholic. She goes, I, <laughs> I wrote about this in a blog. That's why Tina, Tanya, I mean, we all shared this experience. I mean, she's just, yeah, she's just yeah, I'm just here to be a, pres a presence of love in this midst, you know. So I'm all those things, the walls, the barriers that might have held her separate from those people. She says, I tear down those boundaries so that I can be with the people and to hear their stories and accept them and love them just as they are. She says, you know what? There's not one bathroom latrine in this entire regional area. She says, she goes, and the water I drink, I drink from the, the stream over here, you know. She says... And it's just all the sense. I, I left my comforts behind so that I could be with these people and just love them. And we're all like going, wow. <laughs> that was a, it was a saying, well, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing? Anyway, that was a lovely experience. Thank you, Tanya. Because it fits into this, a sense of she's willing to go beyond her own story and beyond the people's story, saying, here's a man who's brutally beaten his wife, and she comes back to him and she says, I'm just going to move beyond the story they keep telling each other, and I'm going to love them and help they see a new, a new way. Hmm. So that's kind of the, the message in here to, to me, and I'm gonna, I have a few things to say along these lines that help me break through the judgments I make and, and just to be present with people. So, yeah, to break out of the story, the plot line that I've been telling me. That's that transformation of mythic consciousness. Yeah, transformation of mythic consciousness. All it means is let's change the story. And do it in a way, sometimes the, the grace of God breaks into our stories in amazing ways and reshuffles us. And we've got to say, ah, ah. Oh, so here's some, and these are going to be random thoughts and I've got to keep track of the time because, oh my goodness, okay. One of the things that's so interesting, I think, is that think about the, the, the body. So we're talking about the body. Oh, Paul says you have to discern the body. And at first, a lot of people have interpreted that meaning. It's like if you don't believe that Jesus is here when you take communion, you haven't discerned the body. But a wonderful way to interpret that, this is, that story is about justice. He says if you're sitting there and you're so focused on, do, on, on your eating, your drinking, that you miss the body that's around you, You've missed that you haven't discerned the body and you're not doing it right, he says. You're not doing it right. Discern the body. So this is a little bit about the body. Um, just think about this. One of the things I heard, and I hope it's true, but our body, all the cells in our body renew themselves at different rates. So, but with the different, like bone cells renew more slowly than skin cells. But think about this, over a period of seven years, all the cells in your body, 
or rejuvenate themselves at some point or another. So seven years ago, you had a different body completely than what you have now. Just think about that. So one time I, I, had, I had this thought in my head and I went into a restaurant that I went into 20 years ago and I sat down and I said, wait a minute, have I been here before? I have the memories of being here before, but has this body been here before? This body has not been here before. And who hasn't, who, like, I mean, if somebody was here for the, for the first time in five years, so you're still in that cycle, but to saying uh, seven years, if you, have, you haven't been back here in seven years and you step on the, on the windy grounds and you're like, wow, this body has never been here before. It's a chance to tell it a new story. But also saying, what part of me has been here before? I can't answer that for us today. But it leads me into this idea about where is the mind? Because you say, I have memories of being here. My body seems to know the way. My body knows the way through the wilderness. But the mind, this is now where neurologists, neuroscientists, I listened to a great discussion between a Buddhist teacher and a neurologist. And they were both going to sing, what is the mind and where is it? And the neurologist kind of comes down to it saying, you know, we as scientists, we can't tell you where the mind is. It's certainly not located, it's just in the brain. And the idea that they're working with now is that the mind runs throughout the body. It's, uh, one guy said, wherever your nervous system is, there your mind is as well. All right? So the mind is throughout the body. And, um, oh, that's all up there. And also, the, I mean, that's why the reason why we engage the body here at our CFO, JFO world is the saying, why it was so important. You know, I reread Glenn Clark's autobiography, and he said when he was thinking about the component of body, he, there was a guy on the, off the coast of Maine who did a lot of work with body movement, and, and Glenn wanted to incorporate that into the camps. And so he asked this guy if the guy would come and... Um, and do this at the camps with them, body movement and all this stuff. And he said, no, I don't leave my island. He says, but you send somebody here and I'll train that person. And they sent, I can't remember whom he sent, but she went for three months. He says, you have, she has to be here for at least three months. And so that person trained for three months and all the stuff about body movement and the body, mind, spirit, all that, so that she could bring that back to the camps. So... That's, there was great importance put on this sense of the body-mind connection and here in camps. And how, when we get stuck in our stories, sometimes the best thing to do is to move our bodies. And Tanya's here to help us this week with that, to helping move our bodies. And let's see. Move our bodies, change our stories. I told you that. I'm going to skip that. Discerning the body. I said that. But that's a sense of looking at uh, paying attention to the body. Because there's some forms of spirituality that want us to detach completely from the body. You know? We uh, caricaturize, but transcendental meditation. I'm just using that name as a way of saying, get out of the body, and that's where our real life happens. Uh, even Paul struggles with it. He says, my body and my spirit are at war with each other. So I end up not doing the very things I want to do. Struggles with the body. But... Um, I'm here, I mean, for me right now, I'm focusing a lot on the body because it's like, it's a place of learning, a place of learning and of loving and experiencing life and joy and anger and pain, all those things. So experience them, 
do, but let them get, we gotta move that. We gotta move the energy, because if it gets stuck, it gets stuck for me, I get sick in some way. Okay, discerning the body. What was that story that goes along with it? Oh, yeah. So um, there's a way of doing let go and let God. We do it a lot, you know. It's just, let go and let God have that wonderful way. Let go. You know, we just we move through it. We've done it all the time. Um, but that story I told earlier in the week that said there are times when we just go through the motions and we forget why we do this, right? We go through the motions, you know, and we forget the reason why we do the things we do. So I've asked Tanya when we get to rhythms to help can tell this story a little bit more. But for us, is what uh, I'm working, working with Hope, and she just says, you know, when you do let go and let God, because she does it every morning, she says, I get out of bed and do this every morning. I'm like, wow. Uh, she says, you gotta, whatever you're holding on to, you gotta feel the weight of it first before you let it go. It, it stays a mental exercise until we move it into our bodies. So um, hang on a second. I actually had to do a little bit of that. It's hard to do with the chairs that are here, but harder. That's a thought. But um, what was I saying? Whatever it is, there's so many ways to do, to do the body-mind connection exercise discipline. Yoga is one of those. And the word yoga means yoking. It yokes body, mind, and spirit. So the movement, that's how you get into oneness uh, that, that way, body, mind, and spirit, is to the, the disciplines of yoga help the body to move in such a way as that the spirit and the mind come into alignment together. All right, so if you, if you uh, this is a good point to stretch. So we're going to stretch, and I want you to stand up and stretch and just feel the weight. Whatever you're, if you're tired, if you're mad, if you're angry, or maybe whatever the weight of anything that you might want to let go of, Stretch up, but then begin to feel the weight of it. Just let your body recognize and notice that you're something you're maybe holding on to. Begin to feel the weight. And then whatever weight you can, right in your seat, maybe you just to drop your arms or something, and we're going to say, uh, whatever movement you can do to kind of feel that letting go. Maybe stand up on your toes and we're going to go, let go. And let go. Let go and let God away. My troubles, my troubles, now vanish my right turn to today as I let go. As I let go, let God have God's way. Okay. I give that to you as an exercise. Tanya will help us do that at Rhythms too. And uh, new words, trying to put, bring into the moment my troubles, my night turns today. As I do this, I move that energy. So just a little bit. <laughs> there are great books out there on body-mind connection. You know, lots of stuff out there. Seek and ye shall find. Okay. Um, <laughs> so much here. Let's do back to that. Okay. Okay. So, uh, I mean, that's just a reminder for me. Oh, I keep wanting to move away from the microphone to tell you stories. Okay. So here's a story for you, and I'll notice the time. Good. Okay. Uh, this is about 
what can, one of the things that I like to do clearly is to sing to move body and to move thoughts into my body or out of my body. You know, just singing is great. So one time, this one time, when I was going to seminary, that one time, when I was actually leaving Arizona to drive to New Jersey, and I did it by way of Canada. <laughs> so if you think, here's Arizona, here's New Jersey, Canada. Okay. I thought, it's an adventure. I'm, I'm leaving this life behind. I'm going to this life. And um, a few months before I, I went, I was in a, a car accident. Somebody T-boned me, and my car was gone at that point. And um, so I, got a, I had to get a new car, and um, hmm, it was a little sketchy. <laughs> a little ske- I didn't know how sketchy this car was until I started driving across country. So I'm driving across country, and I get through New Mexico and to Colorado, and I start driving east from Colorado, and it's raining, and like the windshield wiper is having a little trouble, I'm noticing. Hmm, okay. Driving a little further, and... It's raining really hard, but everything starts to go dim in the car. And I'm like, hmm, hmm. So I, I pulled off to the side of the road, and I said, I opened up the hood as if this is going to help. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't turn the car off because I thought if I turn it off, it won't start again, you know. So I, tur- I just, the car is running, and I'm like, hmm. What if I jiggled some wires? <laughs> so I reach in and jiggle some wires, and now what do you get? You know, zap, big zap. And I'm like, well, that's not good. Um, hmm. So I get back in the car. It's a little Volkswagen Scirocco, black, whoosh, whoosh, like the winds. Scirocco. It's, all right, so um, I'm driving across, I'm driving along, and like things are getting dimmer and dimmer. I'm like, I don't know what to do. God, what do I do? Uh, just listening for that voice that knows. You know, I was like, okay, what do I do? And I just have this sense, whether it's a voice or a sense, it says, pull off at this exit. So I pulled off. And you, of course, you come to an, a right or left, right? I said, which way? Left, left. Okay. So I went left. I'm driving into like a nowhere town. I drive and it says, turn here. Okay, okay, turn here. Turn here. And all of a sudden, I turn a corner and there's a, like a tire place. Uh, that's the only thing I saw. So I pulled in there and I pull in and, and leaving the car running. And, and all of a sudden, three guys come running out and they're like, can we help you? I'm like, yes. So I tell them the story, and they're like, well, let's, I know we're a tire shop, but we could look to see what's going on here. So they look, and they open up the hood, and they're doing some things, and I called the mechanic from whom I bought the car, and he's like, mm, I don't know, I don't know. But then we realized that the alternator was new. The new. There was a new alternator in there. And they're like, well, the alternator's going bad, but we don't have anything, we can't help you. That's what they said at this place. We can't help you, because we have one that's got a part that's this long, and it only needs to be this long, it won't fit. What we can tell you is um, just keep driving. Um, don't turn, I mean, it's just like don't use any of your electrical stuff and until you have to stop and it's nighttime, then just stop. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I just keep going and uh, I, I pulled over for the night and just said, God, I, I thought I was going to seminary. Do you got another story for me? You know, I'm going. Um, but I get up the next morning and the ooh, car starts and we keep going and uh, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I, I was driving to the home of a retired Methodist minister uh, who was the father of Hope Peel, Hope Farr, so his, her father. And so I pulled up, I, I get to, as I'm driving, I'm driving, there's no GPS in this day, no nothing. I've got a little map, directions, and I, I pull up to his house, and I look across the street, 
and there are seven Volkswagens in the house across the street. And I'm driving a Volkswagen, and I'm thinking, and there's a guy out in the, in the driveway working on a car, you know. And I'm like, hmm, all right. So I went over and I asked the guy, he says, look, I'm having trouble with my Volkswagen. I don't know what to do. And he's like, oh, listen, there's a guy back in Salina, you know, 30 miles back, who uh, works on, um, he works on Volkswagens. But you know what? His kids are gone to Russia for a mission trip or this and that. He says, listen, he won't be there till Monday morning. And this was probably Friday or Saturday. He says, but you just drive, he's, he's really busy. But you just drive over there and pull in and, and, and he's, he's got to help you. you know? So I'm like, okay, I had to wait several days and I go backwards. It's like, God, I'm going backwards? Right, going backwards. And as I'm driving to the place where I'm supposed to you know, go for this Volkswagen dealer uh, mechanic, there's this huge rainbow in the sky, and the end of the rainbow is right where the, uh, the, 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 the mechanic is. I mean, I don't make this stuff up, you know? And so I'm like, okay. So I pull in there. Oh, and the day before this, I had to call Gloria Napstad. And I said, Gloria, I don't know what to do. And she was together with several other CFO people at that time. And they're like, oh, well... They just started singing, every little cell in your car is happy, every little cell in your car is well. And they're all on the phone singing. I'm like, this is great. Thank you. And Gloria says, I am going to pray. She tells this whole story. You know what? Once we were driving across country with the whole family, and it was New Year's Day, and our car broke down, and we didn't know what to do. And we found the mechanic. He opened up his shop. And that, that part that we needed cost us $8. So I'm going to pray that that, co- that, that whole thing is going to cost you. It's going to cost you $8. Very random, right? Like, thank you, thank you, Gloria. So I get to this mechanic, and he, he looks at the car, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, your alternator's new, but the problem is, uh, is that the belt is new, too, and it's stretched with the heat. So he just said, um, let's look up to see what that part is. Okay, that'll be $8 for the part, the new fan belt, the new belt on the alternator. And then, of course, another $30 for the, the, at that time just for the service. And I was like, ooh. So I began to Ken driving across country, and one thing after another seemed to go wrong with this car, and just I'm praying the whole time. And at a certain point, I'm up going through from Chicago to Toronto, to a place I don't even know. It's a, it's a brother of a cousin of a friend up in Toronto, but I wanted to see Canada, you know. So I'm driving across country. I get through, and it's just pouring, pouring, pouring rain, and my windshield wiper's like, eh, 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 eh. And I said, I don't know what to do. So I just started singing camp songs, just singing, singing, singing. So at least I can change me in this situation, move out of the fear and just start singing. As I started to sing, the rain stopped. <laughs> Coincidence, of course, but wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. Anyway, I'm singing in the rain. I don't have a problem with rain. And I'm singing and singing and singing the whole time and just keep driving, 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 singing camp songs. And I'm just feeling at peace. And then I, because I don't know where I'm going, I went a mile too far. And all of a sudden, it was just pouring, pouring rain. And I said, oh, I've gone too far. I turned back, and I found where I was supposed to go. Anyway, the whole idea in that story is uh, music. There are different ways to change our story. And they may seem fantastical and otherworldly and all that stuff. But uh, for, to be, for me to be here in the here and now, sometimes my story needs to, can be changed just by singing. And there's other ways of doing it. 
And on top of that story, then I can add another story from Kenya, right? With Danya, Danya, Dana and Tanya, right? And I were traveling again across northwestern uh, um, Kenya with Dennis Brown. And he's a CFO person, a CFOI person. And so we're traveling with him. We just, a whole day of butt-bruising travel across the, you know, north, northern Kenya. And we're tired, and it's getting dark. I mean, as we're kind of got to get home, and it's a several-hour drive home, and we're just like, oh. It, oh, I was, because I heard so bad that there's a little place in the back. I, I lay down in the back of the, pick, uh, the station wagon kind of thing, and they like, it's like, that's illegal. They kept, everybody kept saying, the Kenyans, you can't do that, it's illegal. I'm like, oh, but it hurts, you know. And uh, I'm lying down in the back, and um, so it's dark. And so what do we, and like, we're like, well, Dennis is like, I've been driving all day. And we're like, what do we do? We just started singing camp songs. And we found out we knew all the same songs. And we just sang and sang and sang all the way home. And we had a great time. And it really just shifted our experience. And it brought us together. So, all right. Shift the story. One way to do that is through body movement. Another is to, is to sing. Um, let's see. That's that story. We'll get to the hypnosis. Uh, maybe this is all for the last talk then. Uh, 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 you'll see. I'll put pictures with that. It'll be great. <laughs> I'll stop with it. Here's, here's another thing. is like anytime I'm moving into conflict, and I do not, I, in the past I have not enjoyed conflict whatsoever. Um, but if I talk to Hope about that, I say, like I said, when I left seminary, I moved back to Phoenix, and I moved in with two of my sisters. And I, saw, so I told Hope on the phone this. I said, Hope, I'm moving in with a couple of my sisters. And she says, oh! <gasps> What an amazing opportunity for growth. <laughs> Family, what an amazing opportunity for growth. And uh, so sometimes just a, a quick catchphrase can help us shift energy too, can help us get us out of our mind like, oh, this is going to be terrible. Or what an amazing opportunity for growth. Um, and there's no, one more, I think, do I have it? Nope, but I'll tell you. One more, this is I got from another friend who... She said she had this phrase which she taught, uh, she teaches hypnosis. So, and I, she has this great phrase. When everybody starts to get stuck in their mind and they're giving you lots of thoughts and opinions and everything, she says, well, there's a thought. There's a thought. So well, the one time I use this is like at, at church, there's a, I'm in the church choir, and one day I took my music home and I came to church and I'd forgotten my music at home. And the church uh, music librarian, Dana, help me, what's her name? Oh, I can't remember. Meryl. Meryl is from, she, she's got a pan-British accent because she grew up in Australia, New Zealand, and England. But she's like, huh. she's always telling me, she says, oh, Meryl, I'm so sorry I left my music at home. And she goes, well, you're horrible. <laughs> you're horrible. And I, just, and I just took a breath and I said, well, there's a thought. <laughs> and she just looked at me like, that didn't re that I, my, I didn't get offended, I didn't do anything, I didn't respond back to her. I just said, well, there's a thought. And she was able to, she just kind of, it startled her. And um, she still tries that kind of thing with me, but uh, I just kind of smile and say, thank you, Meryl. No, no. But I love that phrase, well, there's a thought. And because sometimes our thoughts are, are our, biggest, our biggest detractor in life. And want to move into our body, know what our feelings are, and change the story somehow. So Tanya's going to shift us into, into um, rhythms for that and help us move our, change our stories. 
And also, at a certain point, I want to weave back into that, that stand for justice. Because sometimes changing our story is required of us when we realize somebody's not is sitting at the table with us, and maybe we've left them out. So, anyway, change the story. That's, what I, that's my story. I'm sticking with it till I change it. Okay. Oh, 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 sorry, one more thing. This is, we're doing Letters to God tonight, and I want to encourage you, this is 30 years, 30, I, I only found 30 years worth, but out of 35 years of, of Letters to God that I've written, and, uh, and I'll share a couple of those with my last talk, just a sense of, oh, these are insightful, but that means that to, what I learned at camp was to li- get still and listen or move into the body and listen for the voice of God who can speak to us in amazing ways and bring us insight. That's a, that's a teaser for the next time. So thank you, Tanya, and everybody. Thank you. Here we go. What a perfect transition. So let's take a moment of breath. Feel our bodies, notice our legs and our butts and our feet and toes, and notice your shoulders and neck and arms and fingers. Notice your ears and your tongue and your singing throat. Notice your eyes and your hair. Breathe in, a big breath. Breathing in this place and this, as if your body is experiencing it for the first time. And breathe out. And let it all go, let it all go. One more breath in. Today is a new day. Breathe out. And today we have, again, the invitation and opportunity to pray and experience our bodies, experience our lives through body movement. And we have another JFO miracle that is still sunny and not rainy for rhythms. So I look forward to seeing you out there.